I'm like, I'm like, so you say that you care about queer people everywhere. And they're like, yes. And I'm like, so let's talk about improving things for queer people in the South. And they're like, just leave. It's the Mm -hmm. South. And I'm like, it, it doesn't work like that, babes. So welcome back to I'm the Villain. Today we're going to be talking with DeAndre's friend Kenny about being gay in the South. <laughs> so um, Kenny, you know, why don't you just give the audience whatever intro you think they should know about you? Sure thing. Hi, my name is Kenny. Um, I am 28 years old. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, my pronouns are he, him, but any pronouns are fine with me. Um, I identify as gay. I identify as uh, genderqueer. Um, I've been living in the South for about 15 years. I lived in Ra- uh, Fayetteville for four years, and then I lived in, I have lived in Raleigh for 11 years. Um, originally, I'm from the Los Angeles area. Uh, my family moved around quite a bit, um, but I have really laid down roots in the South. Um, and yeah, I thought it would be really fun to come and talk to DeAndre and Isabel and have a kind of an open conversation about the ways in which uh, the South is not a pantheon. Um, when it comes to uh, representation and sexuality or gender identities. And um, I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for yeah. having me, y'all. And and for context, for those of you listening, if, in case you don't remember, DeAndre is also from Fayetteville. So. Yeah, we went to high school together. We met yeah. in a freshman year math class. That's true. Miss. <laughs> Was it a good math class? Did you like math? What I remember most about that math class is that A, you and I became friends there. And that B... The guy that sat in front of me all semester um, was very quiet, and uh, the teacher was like, "You really should help him out. He's not in class a lot. You should help give him your notes and like make sure that he like succeeds." And I was like, "Okay." And at the end of the year, he stabbed a teacher. <gasps> oh, <So. laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, I don't think, I don't think I want to be friends with this guy. I'm not sure. And the teacher was like, "No, you should be a good like classmate." Yeah. And I was right. Damn. Damn. The whole time. Yeah. Well, Kenny, do you want to do you want to like talk us through your like journey of discovering your queerness, like generally, like when you know when I I know the answers to all these questions, but like <laughs> when did you come out? What was that process like for you? Like, what you know, what has it been like coming into yourself into North, in mm. North Carolina, but also like generally? Totally. Um, <clears throat> well, I would love to start by like. Um, identifying that, like, I love to kind of refer to my overall identity just as queer. Um, also, I, I use the words like gay for my sexuality and then gender queer for my, like, own gender identity because it makes it easier to parse out and kind of like have a conversation about. But yeah, generally, I like the assignment of like queer and queerness because I think that it, it, it leaves a lot of room for ambiguity. It leaves a lot of room to have your identity within yourself explored just as something that is like not compulsory, not just like assuming, you know, um, heteronormativity or cisgenderness as like the default and leaves you room to like explore and understand yourself better and develop. Um, so I just wanted to give like a quick definition for that yeah. um, before I like jump in. But um I think that I've pretty much known that I was some flavor of queer my entire life. Yeah. Um, I, like, formally came out as bisexual at 14. And then probably by 15 was like, "Mm, 
Yeah, no, I'm absolutely gay. <laughs> like, well, who did you like first come out to? Um, I think the first person that I actually came out to was a friend was Manisa. You know what? Nope, actually, that's not true. I came out to a bunch of my nerd friends on Gaia Online. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Gaia Online, legendary. So, Gaia Online um, is a avatar-based anime chat forum. Yeah. Okay. So you have a little anime character that you like dress up with all these like virtual items that you can acquire. Yeah. And you chat in forums and then you can make guilds and have secret clubs and and there's um, a whole like marketplace of buying and reselling these virtual items and you like earn mm-hmm. you can earn gold. And have you been on it, DeAndre? Yeah, no, I was We on, were on yeah. it together. Yeah, no, I was oh, really? on Gaia. People do people role play, you know, mm-hmm. on Gaia. On it's just it's just it's a whole, it's a whole situation. And it was like mm-hmm. it was like a really, it was a, it was honestly a pretty thriving community back in like these like high school era days. I recently yeah, they, I recently logged on again, and it's is it like much, much is it bigger. like the the same level of fervor as like Neopets, but for anime stuff. It was definitely like a similar situation where it was like mm-hmm. you weren't like raising anything or feeding anything. Although they did, sure. they did add a component like that but, like, later just, on. Like marketplace component yes. and everything. Like, there's like a community component where you're talking to all these and people. And you had like you had your avatar and like you were. I mean, all these items that you were buying and selling were for your avatar, or like you could have you could like design your own house or whatever. But no. Really. Are you like trying to design avatars that look like some of your favorite anime characters? A lot of people did do that. Yeah, yeah. and a lot of, yeah. and yeah. a lot of um a lot of the items were like very very clearly based off of anime like yeah. you know like yeah. you can get like a naruto style headband but they they called yeah. it something different you know uh, but it was right. like clearly based yeah, they, on they'll call it like the hidden village headband yeah. or something. and you're like yeah. baby we know yeah, yeah. and you can yeah. get a keyblade that's like very clearly a kingdom hearts reference but they called it a g-blade it's right. yeah <laughs> the g-blade i was a big g-blade like that. I, that, was, that was a big thing for my character but anyways um yep. so that makes a lot of sense to me, Kenny, that that's where you've kind of tested the waters a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think that like um, that's actually kind of one of the things that I had kind of bullet pointed on my list of things to talk about is that like I think a lot of queer people, especially in places where there's not a very like active or visible like queer community, a lot of people find their their first sense of community online and especially on any forum where you can maybe obscure your physical identity where you have like an avatar to represent yourself or you have like a profile image that you can kind of take up or down and kind of use that to cast the identity onto. It gives you like a degree of separation to go, okay, well I'm going to test out this conversation and see what, how this goes. If I am exploring this concept out loud via like my virtual character. Mm -hmm. And if my virtual character doesn't get nuked, then like, maybe we can start having some real conversations about it. Um, and so on that forum, I just had met a bunch of friends who were into art and into a lot of the same things that I was into. And then we made a guild, which a guild is basically just an invitation only forum, like for your friends only. And eventually I think we were all around the same age, give or take a year. I was like 13 or 14 at this time. And eventually like every single person in that guild came out as like, queer or gay or trans or non-binary and it was like okay so even on the internet it makes sense that we gravitate towards each other and that we recognize each other yeah got it <laughs> <laughs> makes sense um totally. so that would be like the first time that i think i really put 
it into words. And then I, I came out, I started coming out to my friends like right before sophomore year of high school. Um, and I, I truly don't remember like who the first person was that I told. It just kind of started like happening. I think I showed up to, to like like first day of school sophomore year and I was like, I am going to tell people I am sticking my flag in the ground like this. This matters to me. Um, and it went pretty well. Like I for all intents and purposes, it being like a southern high school outside of the biggest military base in the United States. Like <laughs> It, it could have been a lot hairier. Yeah, you know. I will like, say, as, it's, and, as a as a friend of Kenny at that time, we also like we like knew, you know, like mm-hmm. we weren't like surprised. Well, at least mm-hmm. the the like you know five or six people that I'm thinking of that like that, yeah, no, we uh, we weren't surprised. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I I don't think anybody was honestly. But, like <laughs> I think that which is not so invalidate your experience, but that's like where we were. No, from. not at all. And I'll kind of get around to talking about that as far as like, you know, ways in which I think we identify with queerness before we even recognize it in ourselves. Mm -hmm. But I think, like I said, I think it was probably obvious to a lot of other people. Whereas to my, to me, I was just like, oh, this is just who I am. And I don't, I don't understand why it's any different. Everybody else is like, "Mm, I don't know. He got a little sugar in the tank. (laughs) Sugar in the tank. (laughs) (laughs) I just learned recently that that's like a pretty exclusively like exclusive to the South expression yeah i've never heard that ever <laughs> yeah do you know what that means deandre right yeah i mean well like the the idea of like i think it's a it's a southern born like idiom or whatever because it comes yeah. from the idea is like if you put sugar in a gas tank it totals it totals the vehicle of the car or like or it totals uh, oh. the vehicle and yeah um not the vehicle of the car because like it doesn't make any sense <laughs> um <laughs> And it totals the mechanism of the car. Maybe? Yeah. So, and if you, um, there's a lot of country songs where they're like, you know, my my ex put sugar in my John Deere or something like that. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I genuinely did not know that part. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking of two different songs that mention putting sugar in a gas tank right now. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because it would caramelize. Yeah, no, it it melts and then gums up the works and just dist- like <clears throat> literally totals your vehicle. It's a really, it's really kind of fun. <laughs> it's, it's like it's fun mechanics. It's like the it's like the putting the shrimp in the shower curtain of cars. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> what are, we are we just like like randomly picking words now? <laughs> no, you've never heard of that. No, I've no, never like, heard of if, that either. If you if you want to like ear like irrevocably fuck up somebody's house mm-hmm. you put um you put raw shrimp in like shower curtain rods or inside the curtain rods because usually the pegs at the end will screw off okay and so and they're empty or they're spring-loaded inside or whatever yeah so you, you'll pop raw shrimp in there and then you screw them back on and then you put them back up and like rotting fish smells absolutely wretched yeah but no one would ever think-, think to go in there yeah no right and and like that smell once it permeates a space like you're really not getting it out um this is completely i mean we're off track but i'm gonna tell a really quick story that's very relevant to this me and my college friends did this to ourselves inadvertently (gasps) where we (laughs) me and this is when i was living in wolf village and etsy state and me and my my two roommates at the time we had a party and People came over and got really like really like wasted 
and there was this like contingent of people that was not sponsored by any of the apartment owners um that went and started to like start trying to find something to eat in our fridge and there was a piece of like there was like a, a, some raw salmon in the fridge and these drunken people were like we're just gonna microwave it and so they put a piece of raw salmon in the microwave and then forgot about it and mm. we as the homeowners did not know that this happened yeah. and so and like a week goes by and we're like what the fuck is that smell and like two weeks goes by and we're like this smells only getting worse and we are cleaning we clean the whole apartment deep clean the whole apartment top to bottom and we were like this is crazy like something we were like we were about to call like student maintenance because these were like student housing apartments and then <clears throat> i had this epiphany and i was like okay where have we not cleaned like literally i'm like because we checked all like all the places that it, one would think to check looking for like some rotting something rotting and yeah. then all of a sudden i like have this epiphany and i look at the microwave and i'm like i was like wesley when's the last time you microwave something and he was like oh it's been like weeks and i was like yeah carter when's the last time you microwave something and he was like, oh, like it's like been a month. And I don't know why. For some reason, none of us had just used. None of us had used the microwave. Yeah. And I was. This is like a movie scene. Like you literally zoom into literally the microwave. It felt like, like a oh! movie scene. And we all, <laughs> I, like I realized it. And then they all kind of realized it at the same time. Yes. And and I was like, I haven't microwaved anything in like a month. Yeah. And then we like all kind of zoom in on the microwave. And then we realized like whatever is that smell is, it's coming from there. Yeah, and it's like the microwave across the room, and the, and the dolly's yeah. just like, and yeah, <laughs> and so we literally like, we like, like fashion, you know, like down and dirty gas masks to be able to open this because we're like, whatever is gonna, whatever's in there is gonna smell so bad. Yeah. Oh no, and it, it did, but we were happy to find the that the culprit of the smell, and it did take a really fucking long time to get that smell out of the apartment. Yeah. Yep. So. Wow. Yep. Well. So anyway, sugar in the tank. So anyways, you're. So anyways, you're coming out. And, and I guess I just don't have enough enemies to know all of these nefarious ways of fucking up people's shit. <laughs> oh, I. I don't really either, but you know, I I believe in being prepared. Okay. Yeah. Boy Scout Solemn Creed, baby. Yeah. Solemn Creed. Um. Do you have any exes where you're like, I would like actually fuck up their house or something? Um, not exes, but yeah. like people. Nemeses. Yeah. Oh, nemeses. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, shout out the guy that evicted me. Oh, damn. Uh, <laughs> and no, you okay. actually we, lived in that house. So like you could have actually fucked the house up. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and, like we weren't actually evicted. We were just asked to leave in a way that was illegal. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, there's definitely like, you always have to have something in your back pocket. Yeah. And I, this is going to sound like I'm like trying really hard to get us back on track. I swear it's not. But I, I think that when you are somebody who like, isn't a, like, who's like, you're viscerally aware of like being an oppressed person in your area. Yeah. Like you're, you're like, when you are consistently made to feel vulnerable, I think your brain automatically looks for ways in which you're going to kind of like pad your existence or like guard your ability to like retaliate. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So I like, I always have something in my back pocket. Mm -hmm. I've never had to use it. Yeah. Um, except for the time I stuck, uh, half Oreos all over some guy's windshield. <laughs> Do you know about this? 
I, I did know about this, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you um, you take an Oreo and you, you take off one side of the cookie and then you lick the cream and then you stick it on somebody's windshield. Mm-hmm. And that wet sugar... And like cements. ...will then recrystallize and it will like cement <gasps> to the windshield and then you have to take a chisel... Yeah, it. and there's no, wow. there's no way you can get it off without like really scratching your windshield. <laughs> yep, it's quite. So what, or so I've heard. Or so I've heard. What was the impetus for that? Doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to implicate myself on this good Sunday. Yeah, on, this good, <laughs> on the Lord's day, no less. No, yeah, no. Um, but yeah, no. I I, th- I think that I think that ever, anybody who has felt, and maybe you, you guys can speak to this experience as well. But I think if you've ever felt like singled out for your existence in any way, your brain automatically looks for ways in which like you were like, if I had to get back, if I had to really like lash back, how would I do it? How petty would it be? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm not saying it's a healthy or rational thought, but I think it's something that you're like, our, our brains are like, if I am like really being made to feel vulnerable or oppressed for no reason, mm-hmm. what could I do to make somebody else really feel the way that I do? Mm-hmm. And, and, th- and that's like a that's like a nasty thought. You know, I mean, like, I don't I don't believe in acting on vindiction. Yeah. yeah. But I but I, I think it's something that our brains just naturally do. It's like as humans, we want other people to understand the way that we feel. And so when you constantly feel like you are being set back or pushed back upon or had to make your life harder. Mm-hmm. Your brain goes, what if I just really fucking got you together? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got you together. <laughs> what, if, like, what if I really just did something that that like was not hurtful, did not physically impact you, but made your life so fucking inconvenient <laughs> and gross, you know, mm-hmm. just to make you feel like I feel for one for a hot second. Yeah. So I think that's why queer people are petty sometimes mm-hmm. because because the ways in which you are made to feel bad about yourself as a queer person feel petty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like very often people won't just come into your face and be like, you're a fag and I don't like you. Mm-hmm. I would almost prefer that. Right. But it, it comes in the form of like the up down look at the grocery store. It's like very or subtle. It's very subtle yeah. or it's the like, you know, that you didn't get that job because you're gay, even though they were like, you're not qualified. And you're like, mm, I was. Yeah, mm-hmm. clearly um, I was. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's like it, it's like the tit for tat, the eye for eye. Like you're going to be very petty and inconveniencing to me. Mm-hmm. I am the best at being petty and inconveniencing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so talk to me. I mean, talk a little bit about like the kind of southern component of being queer. Well, first of all, do you identify like do you when people ask you where you're from? I know that you say California, but you do you mm-hmm. do you identify or feel like part of your identity is like southern in any way i absolutely do yeah um and i'm proud to be southern frankly yeah same i so i um i do tell people so i live in this kind of interesting pendulum space where people in the south when they ask me where i'm from i think that there is some essence of my personality that feels a little other as far as like where i am from Mm -hmm. um so, like, for background, my family just moved around a lot when we were kids, and then we mm-hmm. landed in you're a military family. North... Yeah, my, dad's, my dad is in the Army, um, and he retired this yeah. year. Which um, is a story that a lot and... of people from Fayetteville have, by the way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so, I think that a lot of people from the South recognize that there's something about me that's like, oh, you're not, like, from here, from here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I tell people that I am, like, a, like my family, like, my historical <clears throat> background is from 
the Southern California area, but I do very much identify as somebody Southern. I mean, I've lived here for 15 years. Mm-hmm. I, I like my entire formative stage of life has happened here. Yeah. So I, I feel like it would be. Yeah, I feel like I, like I, I was 13 when I moved here. 13 to 28 is like the yeah. majority of my life and like pretty much all of me becoming a person. <laughs> right, right. So I think I think it would be silly to be like, I'm not, I'm, I don't identify as Southern when like it's like, OK, where, where else did you figure out how to identify? Girl? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that it's like it's funny to be able to like claim to being or yeah, claim that you are from somewhere if that's not really where you were born. But it's like third culture kids. Have you heard this term? I have not actually. It's like this notion that like, you know, any kid who, uh, you know, had a similar type of thing where they either moved around a lot when they were a kid or they have, you know, parents from two different cultures and things like that, like identify more with other kids of that same situation than whatever their hyphens mm, are. Right. Yeah. Like, you oh, know, you may wow. be like Asian American or something, but like you identify more with other people who also moved around a lot than you do with whatever, you know, your Asian side or whatever, you know? Yeah. 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 Like I had never actually heard that term, but I'm going to write that down because I would love to know more about that. Because um, that, that is a very interesting concept in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of research on like, you know, what what uh, the ways in which like third culture kids come up with like a self-identity. Yeah. No, I thank you very much for bringing that up. Like, and I think that there's there, I, there's probably a lot within that concept of a, of a third culture kid that I identify with and, and that actually helped me really come to terms with like merging my understanding of like my queerness and my like being somebody who lives in the South. Um, yeah. Cause I, and I think I've talked to Deandre about this before too, but a big part of why it was so easy for me to come out when I was like 14, 15, I think was that um, I did not have a lot of the notion of like being gay uh I didn't have a lot of the notion of like that being gay was wrong or that it was like morally like terrible or that it was against God or whatever. Like right. I, is your family religious? Uh, that's a very interesting story that, that that's kind of a long story that like <laughs> is worth digging into maybe a little bit later. But the, the yeah. short story is that my mom's side of the family is vaguely religious, just kind of like, like Lucy and Fies is Christian, but they're all very lovely and supportive. Yeah. And then my father's side of the family also very lovely and supportive, um, but they are all Seventh-day Adventists for the most part, mm-hmm. um, which, if you don't know, is a um, a pretty particular niche sector of Christianity. Yeah. Um, so we, we can get into that a little bit later, but um, I, I'm very fortunate to have always had a very supportive family. So the issue with coming out was never, like, being afraid of being, um, like, subjected to harassment or being subjected to invalidation. The fear of coming out for me was that I thought I was the only one. I didn't understand that gay people like existed. I was Mm -hmm. like, there is something in my code that has like shifted or been broken. And I, and like, I need to figure out what that is before I even talk about it. And we were like, I mean, the millennial generation, I feel like we were like, you know, our, our queer people, I think are like the last generation of queer people. So at least in America, to like when they're coming out really feel be, that way be, like be so blind to that you know like i feel like mm-hmm. now like now there's pride now there's like you know so many right. exposure like you know the media is just so filled with queer but people. so recently Absolutely. i mean we're talking about we're talking about what our high school years were like 2008 to yeah. 2011 right mm-hmm. yeah 
as recently as that, it still was not a thing that was talked about on the mainstream or on the main stage. Yeah. Especially for like, if you think about the media that was consumable by like a 13 year old in North Carolina, like, you know, right. if, if I had been 18, 19, 20, there probably would have been like TV shows like Queer as Folk or like The Real World or like, you know, ostensibly more accessible forms of queer media. But for like a 13 year old, not really. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. the thing that really helped assuage that fear of something being wrong with my brain or being the only queer person was that I think something within that concept of being like a third culture kid, which was that I had moved around so much. I mean, we, from the time I was born to the time we moved to Fayetteville in 2007, I lived in California three different times, Georgia, North Carolina, one previous time, uh, Virginia twice and Kansas. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I had this baked in understanding that people are different literally everywhere and that there's no such thing as like one dominant human culture. Um, like that even within the United States, like everybody was living very different lifestyles or like many different lifestyles within one kind of microcosm and then many more within the macrocosm. And so if everybody is like pretty chill living with all these different ideas and all these different like people and all these different backgrounds and histories, then like, I can't be that bad off. Right. Like I can't, I (laughs) surely I'm not that like far out of pocket to be like, I like dudes. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's that that is something that like interferes with a lot of queer people's understanding of their own identity in the South is like when you don't see anybody that look that you feel like looks like you or moves through the world like you or like looks like they're feeling anything like you're feeling, it can feel very isolating. And it, it it's it's one thing to unpack the idea of, oh, it's wrong to talk about this. It's another thing to unpack the idea of. There is no one else like me. I am an alien. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I think that <clears throat> I didn't like, I feel like I, I feel a lot of parallels to the like being queer in the South, also like being black in the South mm-hmm. or like on the mm-hmm. greater world stage. Um, these, I you know, these identities like for, for one reason or another might feel like contradictory to people Mm -hmm. and i feel like i wonder if you experienced this like i didn't realize that there was like this big north south divide until i left and started visiting places Mm -hmm. Mm. like you know new york or even dc um i was surprised at how many people like would comment on me saying i was from north carolina or me saying i was from the south or whatever and you know i didn't I didn't, I wasn't, I thought it was kind of like jokey jokes, like being from the South and like being in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Like I thought that it was like, haha, like Northerners are weird and Southerners are like whatever. But it wasn't until I started meeting people like in these, like, especially the like academic people that I've met, like from Swarthmore or whatever, that are really like, like really actually had these views of what they felt the South was, you know, like I feel like I've heard many people say like, Oh, I could never live in the South. Exactly. Absolutely. Like I, right? I didn't know that that is that that's what people actually felt about mm-hmm. like, like there are people, you know, like David, who's been on this podcast that we all know yeah. my roommate, David was like, Oh, I was literally afraid to go to the South. Cause my mom was like, Oh, if you go there, they're going to hate crime you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I was like, oh, shit. Like, I didn't realize that this is what people felt, you know? So, like, I've become a little protective of it. 
Oh, like yeah. as an adult where, because it's in a way <clears throat> I view it as like just another way to perpetuate discrimination. Right. I feel like, like there's this like eliteness of, nor- of that, like a lot of Northerners are coming from thinking about the South, mm-hmm. thinking about thinking that they're like, holier than thou because because their politics on the whole generally seem to be better or like less nuanced or whatever mm-hmm. and um and like you know like there isn't discrimination here or like it's much better for people in these areas and and i'm like papa <laughs> i have felt more out of place and and more worried for my safety in places like philadelphia and new york or like you know these like being surrounded by like white democrat academics in in many ways makes me feel more uncomfortable Mm. because it feels like it feels like the racism is just more subversive you know it's like you know i've like i've i've in my whole life i've been around i've been in white spaces right Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's like there's something there's something maybe it's just the unfamiliarity of like the white academic spaces that i've been in especially in like the white policy spaces that i've been in mm-hmm. have made me feel more uncomfortable or more out of place than i ever felt back home but do you think that's like a cultural difference or is it more of a like in terms of your like actual like risk assessment of like you know okay what could happen to me as like a black man in the south I think versus it's both. like you know in another place you think it's I both i think it's both i mean like i you know, I think that, like I said, I'm, th- I'm thinking of like, there's this moment where I was talking to David and he was like, oh, like my mom is literally worried that if I go to the South, I'm gonna get lynched, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, oh, well, lynchings happen other places. Lynchings like, it's happened not like lynchings everywhere, didn't happen in the North. Right, yeah. and you know, especially as we see these videos of, you know, black people getting murdered by police right mm-hmm. they're not it's all over it's all over it's not they're the not south. concentrated yeah. in the south <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know it's like systemic racism is everywhere and we know mm-hmm. that to be true so there's that and then there's just like you know i think that now that i'm an adult i can go back to my childhood and think about ways that people maybe treated me different or like whatever because i was black mm. yeah but um and maybe it's just like by virtue of my being like you know a more educated adult exclusively having as like as i've been moving around these spaces but you know the the kind the kind of ways that people have treated me different have a different flavor in you know in like these like kind of like northern more academic more like whatever urban spaces Mm -hmm. um and you know, I've had people, yeah, people have looked at me weird everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but so anyways, I said, I said all of this to say, I like, I wonder if there is, I didn't, I, I didn't, I wasn't aware that like <clears throat> people actually felt that I should be worried about for myself when I'm in the South. And I was wondering if there is a moment like that for you, Kenny, where you were like, where did you, where's there a point, a moment where you realized like, oh, people actually think that like, it's better for me here than it is mm. for me back home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> a couple different things come to mind um, based on like what the, the what you were just talking about and then what you said just now. I, I guess what I would start with is that um, I have memories of my grandma, um, my nana on my mom's side. Um, she just passed away. Love her very much. Rest in peace. Uh, um, she's a lovely, lovely lady. She's great sense of humor, um, but like very, she could be, she could be very, um, very direct sometimes. 
And so she, I remember her pretty consistently being like, well, we got to get you guys out of the South. Those those rednecks are going to get you. Um, mm-hmm. And and it, I don't think that it was her trying to be ultimately critical of the Southern culture as a whole. But I think it was very indicative of this like general perception that the South was um, less developed or less accepting or just overall, you know, less of a great place to build a life. Um, mm-hmm. And it, I think that that kind of sums up what I get from a lot of people, which is just this kind of general distaste for anything south of, I would say, like Virginia, where it's it has like a bit of a, a, a rugged brand to it. It has a, this, it, it, it obviously gets like widely regarded at just as like vaguely Republican, um, as vaguely conservative, as um, not accepting of anybody who is not white, Christian, cisgender, and heterosexual. And I'm not, I'm not going to bullshit you. Some of that is true sometimes. Yeah, some of it's true, absolutely. There, there are places where, like, where when you're, you know, painting with a broad stroke, that does apply, unfortunately. But mm-hmm. I think that when you, when you paint with a broad stroke like that, it really it erases the existence of a lot of other people who are here for many circumstances. I, I think to DeAndre's point, I think what really jumped out at me after a while was that there is this insistence that if you live in the South, then you must be in some way endorsing or co-opting that broad stroke brand of ruggedness of conservatism, um, regardless of how you ended up there. Like if you if you are choosing to stay here, then you are co-opting or at least saying that you are okay with this idea that everything is kind of conservative and like backwards and not as developed. And that's just simply not the case. Um, Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people in the South that ended up here as kids or ended up here for work or by by some means really didn't actively want to be here, but are absolutely making the best of it and are able to make something of their lives in the same way that anybody that lands in Pennsylvania or Illinois or California or what have you does. Um, And so for that reason, I'm also very fiercely protective over my identity as a Southern person. Because it's like, <clears throat> I don't, I don't think that I should have to, like, co-op someone else's narrative of assumptions about a region just because I landed here because of my dad's job, and yeah. it, it it doesn't make me any less able to be a like progressive person or an activist or a like vibrant living out loud queer person, um, and and it certainly doesn't mean that um, I have to escape. Like, or, or like escape, what am I escaping from? Like, it's, it's, it's this vague idea that if you are living underneath a certain area, that you are just accepting oppression. And it's just, it's just not that simple. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really easy. I mean, I've, I've found that it's really easy for, you know, especially like the kind of like Northern liberals to view like our homelands is just like lost like lost wastelands right right? like Mm -hmm. these are just places where change is just never going to happen right and it's like fam like growing up there you know i'm seeing change happen right like our our generation's ushering a lot like things change quickly Quickly. like atlanta is becoming like a like a a a film hub you know like there's so many and like a media hub right like you know there's so many liberal people who are like 
going at least to the urban areas i will say like i don't know as much and, yeah. I, and like you know you, both of you have lived in mainly urban parts of the south right i think fable is weird it's so it's i is think it, it would be classed as i think on like by the census it's classified as an urban area mm-hmm. okay but I, I've been, I've, I really think this isn't a term. I mean, there's like suburban, obviously. I really feel like Fayetteville is a sub-rural town. Okay. Yeah, it's like, I agree with that. Because suburban means like, it means like there's a, a an urban city and then the areas around like that area are considered suburban, right? Like mm-hmm. they're like, they're like, as like the, the city's population is like thinning out a little bit, there are these built areas. Fayetteville, yeah. there isn't, there's no city around us right it's like mm-hmm. we in fact if there's rural areas around us there's farms around us mm-hmm. so yeah. it's like if Fayetteville is the city if this is the urban area you I mean if you go there you'd see what I was talking about it's just like yeah <clears throat> it's extremely sprawling and it's very big but you know like everyone has a yard you know there's like their their only area that like even lightly resembles a city is downtown and there aren't and there still aren't any buildings that are above three stories there yeah and that's yeah. maybe yeah. you're talking like maybe four square city blocks yeah maybe mm-hmm. so yeah <laughs> talk about many, many there's so many ways where i got culture shock leaving the south i mm-hmm. thought that this is just how places looked mm-hmm. yeah you know and then you go like i visit um, my fiance's you know hometown swarthmore in pennsylvania and like, as you know, the towns, you, you guys' towns are like, like jam packed next to each other and you can drive for 10 minutes and be in four different townships, right? Yeah. Fayetteville's huge. If you wanted to drive end to end, it would take you 30 or 40 minutes, right? Yep. But all of it's considered Fayetteville. It's like this giant yeah. sprawling, you know, developed area or whatever. And <clears throat> the military base has a lot to do with that, whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah. um so but yeah, so I've never I have never lived in like a truly rural rural area. Yeah. And in those places like Kenny was saying, yeah, you gotta you gotta watch out a little bit because these places are you know, they have their own way of life, but those places exist everywhere. You know? Right. Like yeah. there are rural areas in Delaware that fly Confederate flags. <laughs> right. right. Like right. <clears throat> when I was in Montana. No, Pennsylvania, that's definitely true. Yeah, absolutely. Like the whole Pennsylvania, whatever, yeah. And then when I was in Montana, right, not southern in any way, right, extremely mm-hmm. northern, almost as north as north as you can get in this country. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, <clears throat> I was the only, I was like one of four black people in this small town in Montana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm getting looks here. Like, people are noticing me here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... The same thing when I was like visiting one of my partners in in um in Amherst. <clears throat> no, in um East Hampton in Massachusetts. Very, very, very white small town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause like I wonder if like this perception of the South is really just that we tend to associate the South with the South like the South's rural areas and we tend to associate the North with the North's like developed areas. Urban areas. Yeah. But mm-hmm. like, you know, there's both in all of these places. Right. And that's what I mean, that's right. really what it comes down to is like I think it's like a lot of it is just how demographically diverse is this place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, there are, like I said, there are places everywhere where you can, where it can get really, really, really monolithic in terms of like the kind of people that are living there. But like the high school that, I mean, (laughs) Fable has a, it's very, very demographically mixed. I mean, Mm -hmm. predominantly it's black and white people. Um, But we have other populations too. And I mean, like Kenny and I went to a very mixed high school. 
Yeah. True. And it's think, probably largely in part because of our proximity to the military base. Yeah, for sure. So, um, and it's like, you know, I think that at least being, being a black person from the South, once again, going back to perceptions of it being unsafe for people there. I mean, it's like, okay, I get why you're saying this, but like the fact of the matter is that most black people still live in the Southern United States. Right. And it's mm-hmm. because of slavery, right? It's because of like how migration patterns have worked. Mm-hmm. But I find that when I'm in places where black people are, I feel safer than when I'm in places that black people aren't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and totally. Most of the places where I've been where black people aren't have been above the Mason Dixon line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. T, you heard. I yeah. I can kind of like echo what DeAndre is saying there from just a like a, a queerness standpoint. And you know, I'm I'm always very cautious of when I would try to conflate um, issues of racial discrimination with the issues of like discrimination on sexual orientation right. or gender. Very different. I, they are. They happen for many different reasons, but I, I think that there's overlap. There's middle in the Venn diagram as far as like the way that it presents itself or the way that it kind of makes you like hyper aware of what, what kind of visible you are in public, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I'm going to, I want to tell this story real quick before I lose it. Cause it occurred to me, when DeAndre was talking about um, us living in Raleigh. And there was a moment that DeAndre and I shared that made me very viscerally aware of the ways in which DeAndre and I were both minorities, but experiencing discrimination very differently. And it was, it was like my first like real understanding of like what kind of like intersectionality and privilege looked like in action. And um, I, I, you might remember this uh, as I'm telling it, DeAndre. So feel free to jump in at any point, but I remember DeAndre and I lived together in the same dorm and shared a room in college. And I remember like in a, in a friend circle at one point, um, somebody like talking about DeAndre, like to me and saying something to the effect of like, well, you know, DeAndre is just so, he just seems so clever and so like put together and like well-spoken for a black guy. And (laughs) I, I remember being like, like it was like a full 180, like, what the what the fuck are you talking about (laughs) what and and i remember being like oh like you wouldn't say that to me as a gay person i was like oh you wouldn't say that to me as a white gay person and it was like i it was like immediately i was like okay so like we are not all experiencing the same levels of like um oppression and the same levels of like judgment here because like i get a pass for what is considered kind of like my minority status because of my whiteness. But DeAndre, who, and for all intents and purposes, DeAndre has always been more like academically driven and like academically accomplished and like involved in like really spectacular things than I have. So for for many, many reasons, he should be getting way more credit than I am in a vocal way like that. And instead, like here was this like guy just being like, I didn't think that he would talk and act and be that smart, but he is. I'm like, can you shut the fuck up? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the like, ag boys. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, DeAndre is better than I am. Why are you telling me this? <laughs> better like, than and, I am. And why are you telling me this? Like, I'm going to be like, you know what? You're right. Like, no, like you're going to eat some teeth, dude. Like, <laughs> you can't talk about my friend like that. Yeah, I do but, feel like I know who you're talking about. Shout, yeah. Shout out, to, shout out to this guy. I hope yeah. he's doing well. <clears throat> He had, so of, just, he had a lot of general problems, though. That's that's T. Um, but <laughs> I, I say that all that to say that just like, you know, 
I think that also being in the South does make you a little more aware of the specific ways in which we all feel like we're kind of singled out for being minorities. Like it's, it, it, it is a little more front facing. Whereas I think that in other areas that would like to brand themselves as more accepting or more liberal or more of just like a quote unquote melting pot, it can become a little more difficult <clears throat> to really understand like when you're being judged or how you're being judged because there's this kind of blanket, like we accept everybody yeah. and it's and that's like, just not, it's not true. Yeah, you're like, no, you <laughs> right? don't. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, I think, I think like I, I, you know, I like to like, this is my broad strokes, which I th- is way oversimplification is that I do feel like, like oppression can be a little more subver- subversive in the North than it is in the South. You know, like, I feel like it, in the South, if it's there, it tends to be pretty in your face. Like, I feel like I've, I've had people make comments like that to me, to my face. Right. I've had people um, like, you know, like when I was in visiting Kenny and his family in his neighborhood, like clearly these families are uncomfortable with me being there because I was black. Right. Like that, like this is like, there's no kind of painting around this. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, um, but, you know, it's just it's just a different flavor of the kind of otherness that I felt in in northern areas where like I've seen, you know, like hate has no place here signs in every in every neighborhood but there, i haven't seen a black person for four hours <laughs> right <Yeah. laughs> um and i in th- like you know i don't want to invalidate people like i think that if you're a person of color in the south or, or if you're a queer person in the south and you feel oppressed because of where you live that's completely valid and it's probably true right like mm-hmm. you, like you you know like and if you want to leave like you should feel empowered to leave um yeah but i think that like you know, I, what I've, I've been teaching like a lot of my white peers, my Northern white friends here in DC and in other places is that like racism has so many, and like oppression has so many different flavors, right? There's so many different ways it can look like, and like, it makes sense that you are blind to the ways that it shows up in your, in your communities. Um, and, um, you know, when people come at me that are from the North about like, how is it like from how, how it was growing up where I grew up. And I was like, I don't know how many black people did you grow up around? And for many of them, it's like very little. (laughs) And I'm like, everyone in my town grew up around black people, regardless of whether you liked them or not. Right. And it's sort of like, it's easy to say like, Oh, we're, we're accepting when it actually is not something that ever gets tested. Right. Right. It's so easy. (laughs) This is like the idea I've, people have talked to me about like, (laughs) like, Sweden and Denmark, these really happy places. And you're and like, I've, oh, how many black people are and there? And I've always thought about every, like, you know, now that, now, like, this is not a, you know, I heard, I remember someone telling me this fact, like, oh, like, Denmark is the happiest place in the world, like, back in high school. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking to myself, I wonder what happened if a lot of black people moved there at one time. Yeah. What would happen? Yeah. Like, a lot of those places are just super homogenous, and that's how they can get away with a lot of the, right. like, quote-unquote progressive laws that they have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. They're not outgrouping all of these people. Yeah, they, they haven't they haven't found like, a nice oh. a nice group to outgroup yet, and it always happens, right? Like, yep. it mm-hmm. typically is, like, whatever, whenever there's an influx of some kind of other people. In Germany, it was Turkish people, right? Like, mm-hmm. and after World War II... a lot of Turkish men moved there because all of their, all of the German men were, had died in war, and they right. needed people to work literally and the german government was trying to get immigrants to come in to fill these jobs 
a lot of Turkish yeah. people came in and now like the white Germans to this day still hate Turkish people. And yeah. like Loki, as as climate change starts creating more and more climate refugees around the equator going north, like is this actually going to be like tested, right? Right in like <laughs> the very near future, for you sure. know, for sure. The the comment of like people from another area, people from an area looking to another area and going like, oh well, you're obviously outgrouped in that area. I think actually has there's a lot of parallels to that with like the north south dynamic. Where, like, I, I think that something that, you know, like, DeAndre, you were saying you have, like, the all these people that are like, oh, I would like I would like things to be better for people there. Or I would like things to be better for, like, all black people in America or all queer people in America or all women in America. Like, that will be, like, the, the kind of umbrella brand of a lot of people's politics. But then when, let's say, like, someone like me is like, hey, uh, I'm a queer person in the South. And, like, I would like to have a discussion about, like, what the healthcare funding is like for, like queer people in the South or for like trans women in the South or like HIV and AIDS in the South. They're like, uh, of course it's bad. You're in the South. I'm like, and I'm, I'm like, like, do you realize how oh, circular this is? Right. Right. Like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, so you say that you care about queer people everywhere. And they're like, yes. And I'm like, so let's talk about improving things for queer people in the South. And they're like, just leave. It's the mm-hmm. South. And I'm like, it, it doesn't work like that, babes. <laughs> like, be, be, and and people don't realize that that is just another way of solidifying the idea of this outgroup that is going to be constantly subjected to oppression. Like, you're like, well, obviously you're in the outgroup, so just go somewhere where you're not outgroup. But it's like that's not the solution, baby. That's what that that's what they want. They like the people that you are concerned about oppressing us would love nothing more than for all of us to just fucking go away. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, there are these the- like there are these like sparks and like small flames of progression in the South, right? Like, or in some cases like very big flames. Like North Carolina, for for example, we're from a purple state. Like North Carolina is solidly a purple state. It can Absolutely. go either direction. It went for Obama, I think, twice. Mm-hmm. And I think went for Trump. Um, in these last two elections or like last election yeah last two elections um and it's like and you're you see you saw it in georgia which went for biden in the last election right it's like these places have like these burgeoning groups of you know progressivism like not even just politically but like in terms of like you know like ideals and human rights and I feel like all of these places need is like a little a, a fan on this flame, right? A fan in the form of like funding and resources or whatever, because it's like, you know, we we know this to be true. Whenever like when universities start popping up in places or like funding start like when development starts happening in places, they become more liberal. When you're like when we're diverting funding from these places or when like you know like in terms of like granting and nonprofit funding and stuff like that, the South is like egregiously underfunded and the further south you go the less money you get um generally from these like foundations or from these nonprofits and from government grants or whatever and i'm like daddy you don't see this correlation <laughs> like you don't <laughs> yeah. you don't see how like because these places are underdeveloped underfunded don't have strong infrastructure don't have access to like ready ready access to internet and shit mm-hmm. like this that like they will continue to be it's a self-fulfilling prophecy yes, it's mm-hmm. com- it's completely cyclical yep and so like you know the true allyship is like saying like you know these people deserve to live quality life and you know even the ones that you don't like but especially the ones that you do like that do live there yeah. um you know you might see like you can't just be like oh it's a lost cause like you know they're never gonna get the votes for it right. or whatever 
Right. And it's convenient that white liberals love to like just view the South as a lost area because so many people of color live in the South. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. It's almost it almost it's almost like it shares a kind of um, a theme with the concept of victim blaming where it's like, of course, things are going to be bad there for you. Like, why? Why? Why would you? Yeah, it is exactly victim blaming. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, it's your fault you didn't move. Yeah, and it's like, oh, because yeah. everybody could just move, right? Everybody just, could just go somewhere where it's better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> imagine that. Imagine, yeah. imagine that, bitch. <laughs> um, well, Kenny, thank you so much. For hanging out. Thank with you us very here. much for having me. I would come back literally anytime. Um, what are you what are you excited to what are you excited to get into? And then you're like, what is what's what do you what's something that you're looking really looking forward to? Who me? Yeah, you. Um, I am very much looking forward to this research project that I am um about to do here in DC at the Smithsonian Archive. Um, we're doing research on a uh, queer designer. Um, and who has not really had his life covered in an enduring way. Um, what am I excited about in regards to like today's episode topic? Um, no, I don't care about that. I just want to know what you're excited about generally. Oh, I care about it. Oh, okay, cool. Wow. Way to silence queer people. <laughs> <laughs> you can say it if you want, I guess. Um, I am excited for the fact that um, there have been lots of queer people that are putting on their own events and doing like self-made moments doing like underground DIY raves and house shows and parties and um, just taking a lot more kind of like community-based action. Um, I'm, I'm excited. You know what I'm really excited about? Here's what I'll say. I am really excited about the fact that when the monkeypox vaccine became available in Raleigh, like everybody was talking about it everybody was like responding to my texts about the resources like everybody was posting about it online everybody was doing their best to make it available and that makes me really happy that nice. makes me very excited that 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 makes me very optimistic about the way that we're able to take care of ourselves as a community because the vaccine was largely not advertised yeah it it, it yeah. was like one article on one website that has like terrible seo <laughs> and and then once once one person found it, we just passed it like wildfire to literally everybody we could. No pun intended, because it's a virus. But you know what I mean. Um, yeah, I, I that made me very very optimistic, and that that made me feel very like you know what. Even though we are this quote unquote like southern community, and we're supposed to be like oppressed and like just subjugated to all hell, like we made that happen for ourselves, and that's pretty fucking cool. So I'm excited about yeah. that. Nice. Well, um, this is your time. Uh, Plug whatever you want to plug. You can check out my work at kwical.com. That's Kenneth Weichel, but just K, my first initial, Weichel, W-I-C-A-L.com. You can find me on Instagram at okkennyray. Um, You can find me in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you see me out, please buy me a Jack and Coke and tell me that I look cute, regardless of what I'm wearing. Um, regardless of what, <laughs> and what time it is. Buy me a Jack and, and Coke. And what? And regardless of what time it is, just buy me and a Jack And regardless of what time it is, I don't care if, if I'm at like a coffee shop at 11, go find me a cocktail. You can you can take cocktails on the street now in Raleigh. <laughs> That's sick. 
Go get a cocktail and bring it to me and tell me how much you appreciate me because I appreciate you. <laughs> and as always, you can find us at I'm the Villain Pod. That's our Gmail, that's our Twitter, and that's our Instagram. Otherwise, bye. Bye.